The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach but do not practice. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by men, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and salutations in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brethren. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called masters, for you have one master, the Christ. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. So as we get further along in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we now get to a type of culmination point in the relationship between the Lord and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. He has permitted for a long time that they would be able uh, to, as we saw yesterday, poke at him, prod at him, attack him, twist his words, try to catch him. And they do this all publicly. And he permits it to a certain extent. And he doesn't respond uh, with any type of rebuke until this point. And so the fact that they make their accusations and their errors are so publicly known, the Lord now is pushed to a public rebuke. He rebukes them publicly so that the leaven of the Pharisees that he speaks about will not enter into the hearts of those who have been witnessing all of these events. Like that good shepherd, like the good gardener of our souls, when he sees the weeds beginning to grow in souls, he immediately reaches out in order to uproot them. And so in any way that the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the, and the Sadducees might have taken root in any of his listeners, he now begins what will be, I think, about a 35-verse rebuke of these Pharisees and the scribes and all of their errors. And he will peel back their errors, if you will, one by one in this rebuke. And so the Lord turns, but he begins with something that is very important as well. He says that they sit on Moses' seat. Now what this shows us is that even though they have the scriptures, they have the Torah with them, there is still an office of interpretation of the Torah that is a living office. Moses' seat this living office within the people of God that is able to teach authoritatively on the Word of God. This will continue into Christ's church that he will establish, but the seat will no longer be the seat of Moses. It will be the seat of Peter. It will be this living teaching office in his church that will have the authority 
to teach on the Word of God that the people have and to teach it with authority. And that this great mystery is a charism given to the church. And because it is a charism, it is not dependent upon the holiness or the character of the one who operates under its inspiration. It is insufficient for us to reject the teachings of the church because we might have witnessed the failings of a few. Some people's failings to live up to what the church teaches is not an excuse for us to fall from that teaching ourselves. There is a legitimate teaching authority within the church despite the weakness of her members. It operates as a charism under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is because it is God who speaks and not the fact that he chooses weak human instruments that affects that teaching authority in any way. And so this is what the Lord is pointing out with regards to the Pharisees. They sit in Moses' seat, an authority that they might have even usurped for themselves. And so the Lord says is practice and do what they preach under this authority, but do not do what they do. The fact that there is such a distance between what they preach and what they do shows that they do not even really believe in what they preach. If they believed it, they would live it. And so what they do instead is they enjoy, as the Lord says, this exterior appearance of religiosity and piety. They enjoy the fact that people think they are something other than what they are. They live under this illusion, an illusion which is what they enjoy. And when faced with the reality of Christ himself, the fulfillment of the scriptures, they recoil from him, just as the scripture says, the darkness cannot tolerate the light. The light of Christ disturbs this existence that they have come to love, this existence of hypocrisy. They have created this illusion and they want everyone else to live in this illusion, to pretend as if they are something that they are not. And it is this pretense that the Lord cannot tolerate this type of hypocrisy that the Lord just does not want, even taking a slight root in the hearts of the faithful. You have to distinguish, though, between a normal amount of hypocrisy that exists in Christian life. We will always fall short of the ideal. The ideal will always be beyond us, and we will never be completely living up to the ideal. That does not make us hypocrites. When the intention is that we, we want to be, we desire to be better. We desire to be more conformed to Christ. And the fact that we are not there yet is not hypocrisy in the same sense that the Lord is speaking of here. The type of hypocrisy that he is speaking of here is a settled hypocrisy. It actually desires this distance and has no desire to be ever conformed to the Scripture in any way, to be conformed to the Word of God. And this is what the Lord is calling out. They have taken this office to themselves and they have simply made it a burden upon the people. The law was given to Moses immediately after the Lord had freed his people from excessive burdens under Pharaoh. 
And this binding upon the people that the Pharisees are doing is reminiscent of the slavery and the tyranny that they faced in Egypt. They have taken the very law that is the law of freedom that frees them from tyranny, both exteriorly, but also interiorly from the vices and the sin that can reign in us in a tyrannical way. They have taken this law of freedom and they have turned it into a burden. They have burdened the people with a weight too heavy for them to bear, and they have not even touched it with their fingers in order to move it, showing that they are not motivated by either belief in the word, nor even the slightest form of charity or love. Christ is the opposite. He will show in the institution not long after this of his new law and his new covenant, where he takes upon himself the work of salvation and he invites us into that work. He doesn't command us exteriorly and offer us no assistance. His new law moves us from within with his Holy Spirit. He not only commands us what to do, which is culminated in those two commandments to love that we had recently, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself, and this is not simply an exterior commandment that he gives to us and then leaves us to accomplish it. He gives us his love and his grace so that he might accomplish it in us. He knows our weakness and his new law takes that into account. He assists us with his grace and with his power. He loves us. He is the one who doesn't bind a new law on us exteriorly but actually writes this law into our hearts, into the interior, and he gives us the capacity to fulfill it. This is the beautiful Christ that we follow, the Christ who gives us the new law of love, and the Christ who is calling us away from a settled hypocrisy, but to conform ourselves to the words that we read and to what we believe. Amen.